Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on restructuring the family gift exchange, long-lost thank-you notes, not wanting people to text no's to large casual parties, ring around the baggage carousel, and wearing earbuds at home around your partner. Plus your most excellent feedback etiquette salute in a postscript segment on gifting. Like all of it. For awesome etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is on gifting obligations with neighbors. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Dan, I'm so hopped up on candy canes and sugar. It's Christmas Eve and you're back. It's so good to see you. I felt so detached last week. Like, I even told someone, especially with our offices the way they are and stuff, I told somebody, I was like, I really, I feel like I have no routine, I have no grounding, I have no anything. And then I was like, oh, Dan's gone. <laughs> That's probably why. I was driving through the night, heading home, yeah. and I said, I got to call my cousin Lizzie Post. Yes, it was so nice. And it was. It was such a nice call. I felt connected. And today, as I was getting ready to come in, I was thinking about seeing you for the first time in 10, 11, 12 days, days whatever I it's know. been. And I said, is that call the only time we've talked? I should have called more. Yeah, you should have. <clears throat> I should have called more, too. <laughs> It is funny because we work so closely together when we are together. And then when we're we're apart, I like I know the things you would say if you were here to have the conversation. That's how long we've been working together for. So it is it is kind of funny, but but yeah, it was a, a just different week here at home. So I, I dealt with Benny a lot this week. As as some of you know, Benny's kind of more in end of life care at this stage. And um so I was kind of dealing with that this week, but he's happy and well at this point and comfortable. comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, and like energetic. Like this is not a dog who is given the signal yet. You know, we have not gotten the signal is still let's do stuff. And it's like, OK, that's good. You still feel that way. There are other issues cropping up, but you still feel this way. That's good. So I'm happy for him. I'm but glad to hear that. No kidding. But you've been gone doing four seminars, man. That's a lot of on the road Talking about business etiquette. It was a marathon. Yeah. It was a business etiquette travel seminar marathon. marathon, And as it wrapped up Friday and I was leaving and driving to meet some of Pooja's relatives outside Philadelphia. Hello, Amish and (laughs) Maythri. I know you sometimes listen to this show. Thank you so much for having me. I was saying that night it felt like my holiday had begun. And even now sitting here with you looking at a week of catch up work. (laughs) It all feels very manageable. I feel like I'm home. I feel like I'm nestled amongst friends and family. Oh, 
I'm so happy holidays. Hear, I'm going to take your view on the week because my view is, oh my goodness, last week I didn't get done half the things I needed to. So this week is like Dan's here, and I can I can go full steam ahead with a second person on deck. Like, and yet I really like your approach because your approach sounds like the holidays are coming sooner, and we can take a break faster. Let's run with your mindset. Christmas carols are in the air. It's a lovely time of year. Well, with that, do you think that we should get to some of our final holiday questions for this lovely time of year? Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. If you're a sustaining member, please put sustaining member in your subject line. You can also call and leave us a voicemail or shoot us a text message at 802 858 K-I-N-D. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know we have your permission to put your question or comment on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question's a delicate one. (laughs) Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have an awkward Christmas gift exchange conundrum. Every year we do Christmas dinner at my aunt's house in the country. For the past five years or so, we've all drawn one name at random and given a gift to that person the following year. We usually exchange emails with our recipient and ask for a few gift ideas. We found that this makes the holiday more economical and just less stressful for all. Last year, I drew my uncle's name for the following Christmas, this one. Last week, I asked for gift ideas, and he said greenbacks or a check. What I want costs more than the $35 limit. I was taken aback. I really want to give a physical gift. 
Also, I'm a graduate student in the last year of my doctoral program. I don't make as much money as he does. It feels inherently wrong to give him actual money when there is such a large salary gap between us. I told my mama about this, and she was shocked. She wants to have a family discussion this Christmas about etiquette and gift-giving. Her stance is that we should all be gifting physical gifts, not gift cards, donations to charity in someone's name, cash, or checks. My sister drew my uncle's name before and had the same issue. Last year, I had my aunt for a recipient. She wanted me to donate money in her name to her favorite charity. I ended up donating money for a portion of a goat in a third-world country. The full goat was over the $35 limit. I know her heart is in the right place, but every year one of us has to donate comically random animals in her name. My dad has my aunt this year and is donating a chicken. He thinks it's ridiculous. I did not intend for this to become a source of contention, but I'm glad my mama wants to put her foot down. Can you provide me with a sample script that I could pass on to my mama? I really don't want this to become an awkward conversation that singles out my aunt and uncle. Thank you and Merry Christmas, Lanyap. Lanyap, thank you so much for this question because I think it does get at some interesting felt issues with gift giving that we don't really talk very much about. Like, For instance, like giving cash to someone a generation above you or who is clearly in a different financial bracket um, or a higher financial bracket, I would say, than you and how awkward that can feel. And these are some of the things that we don't really talk about. We often say, give what you feel like giving. But what do you do when the person that you're asking or that you're giving to is asking for things you don't feel like giving? And we've often answered that by saying you still need to do what you feel comfortable with. So they may suggest the donation to the charity or they may suggest cash. And then you absolutely may get them whatever you wish instead. And if they're not offering up suggestions for alternatives, then that's kind of their 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 lack of participation that doesn't leave you with much option i do think that in the moment you can say things like boy you know i i understand that's what you'd really like i'd feel more comfortable getting you physical gifts so if you don't mind thinking of a couple things i'd really love that if not i'll definitely pick something i think speaks to me as uncle bob you know something like that i think is a good way to turn that around when you're not getting the answer you want it's clear that our our listener isn't a fan of the giving of the animal to the charity, but that's actually something Dan has done in years past and um, has gone really well in our family. I actually remember Pete did it for you one year in our cousin draw, and I remember how delighted you were about it. And so I just want to encourage that that can actually, it can actually be a really positive, wonderful gift. Charitable gifts can be that way. But if you aren't feeling like that, if your reaction is that of our listener, then it can feel uncomfortable and like you're doing something that you don't really want to be participating in. This is such a balance between the courtesy of listening to someone when you've asked for a suggestion who's giving you a suggestion and also sticking to that. I think of it as original etiquette that you mentioned that when you're giving a gift, it's up to you. Yeah. That it's really tricky to give direction about gift giving. It's so tricky, in fact, that we often say don't do it unless you've been asked. (laughs) That it's not a great idea to go around and say, oh, by the way, this year I'm thinking of this. This is my list. Please (laughs) stay in these silos. Stay away from these things. I really prefer this. Registries and the way people set up assistance around gift giving is classic etiquette territory because it is so fraught and it's why those traditional guidelines and rules can be so helpful because they 
give people some sense of what's expected, what's allowed, and they remind us that the the thinking behind any sort of registry or suggestion about gift giving is that you're trying to make things easier for the person who's actually going to be doing the gift giving. From the gift giving side, you can take those suggestions. You can use them. You don't need to. And if you don't like them, if you don't like the things that are on those lists, it's really up to you. And you can stick to the physical gift. You can avoid charities that don't make as much sense to you or that you don't agree with. If you think that cash or gift cards are impersonal, you can, as Cousin Lily said, think about the human connection, the relationship, the person that you're giving to and give a physical gift. There is that courtesy, though, of I've asked you now for what you would like to get. And there is a tradition here that's part of this question that involves asking the person, getting an email. And it looks like sticking to that a little bit. So as you deviate from that, I can see how that might feel tricky. But you're in pretty okay etiquette shape doing it, particularly with some good humor, some generosity of spirit. As far as giving the mother advice on how to give direction to the family, I was thinking about how tricky that is, frankly, that it's to honor what I just said about giving direction about gift giving. Now, for mama to step in and say, all right, everybody, this is how it's going to go. It's only going to be these kinds of gifts is not a discussion that I was Finding an easy sample script for it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I like I gave a a hand at it because I do think families do go through moments where you get to choose whether or not a tradition is going to continue or be fine tuned. We did that in our own family. Um, your mom reached out to everyone at one point and said, "Cousins, do you all still want to be doing this gift exchange?" And and she manages the spreadsheet. Yeah, exactly. And so. It's worth asking every now and again, and and families should feel okay broaching the subject of whether it's time for a change. And I think that because you've had a couple family members be frustrated by the request for ideas for gifts and being told money instead, either from an upper generation or being asked to give to something that you don't feel that comfortable giving to, that I think you're kind of in, your family's probably ripe for the discussion and you can lead into it by identifying that. I think you might talk to mama and say that she could phrase it something like this. This is my my sample script. In preparation for next year, I'd like to fine tune the parameters of the gift exchange. The subject has been raised that some family would like to receive certain types of gifts and others don't feel comfortable giving these types of gifts. There have also been comments about what feels comfortable to gift between generations. In order to keep it simple, I propose the following. Gifts are to be under $35 and should be physical gifts rather than gift cards or cash. She can decide whether or not to then bring up that younger family members have felt awkward giving cash or not. It just depends on whether you feel that's necessary. I don't think it actually is. If you wanted to include gift donation, you might add that gifts may be donated on behalf of the recipient, but the giver and receiver need to agree on the charity and the gift. And then you can decide if you want to explain why that's coming up. But another option is to eliminate the donation from the gift exchange entirely and just let the person receiving the gifts choose to then donate those gifts after receiving them, understanding that feelings won't be hurt, that they haven't kept the gift but chose to donate it instead. 
I think that there's no need for mama to have to call anyone out, an uncle or an aunt or or children having spoken up. I think that because you've had a couple of comments come in, that's kind of where you can say is that, you know, I've heard it from more than one person. And that kind of just alleviates the need for it to be any one specific person. Like Dan said, it's it's tough, but at the same time, If your family is not enjoying this gift exchange, then it really is something to address because this is supposed to be a feel-good thing in the family. And if it's not feeling good to everyone, you do want to find a way to massage it and work it so that it can feel good. I like that sample script. None of my etiquette radar was pinging. None of my flags were jumping up. (laughs) Anytime it got longer, I started to say, oh, no, is this going to veer into territory that gets strange or awkward? Right. I think keeping the message short and simple, acknowledging that you've heard some things from people and focusing on moving forward, not calling out people for past behavior, I think are good ideas. I also like the language of I think we should I I propose this Mm -hmm. so it's not like I'm laying down the law I'm making a suggestion based on things that I've heard and that kind of guides the stream (laughs) without feeling too directive in some ways Lanyap I hope that this helps and that the gift exchange goes more smoothly in the future you know so many people are asking how the Millers manage to have so much fun as a family what's the answer is it money or is it magic neither It's something they worked out together when they woke up to the fact that they wanted their family life to be fun. Who doesn't? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This question is titled, Long Lost Thank You Notes. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I've committed an etiquette faux pas, and I need your advice to remedy it, if possible. My husband and I wrote thank you cards after our wedding. Unfortunately, it appears that we forgot to mail one large batch of them. We recently bought a home and moved, and I found a large stack of written but unmailed thank you cards that we had stashed in the back of a seldomly used drawer. What should I do? It's been nearly a year and a half since our wedding, and I hate the thought of our loved ones feeling like we've been unappreciative of their gifts and efforts to celebrate with us in person. Is it too late to mail the thank you cards? Do I need to add a postscript to the envelope explaining what happened? Should we start over and just write new cards? Thank you so much for your advice. Anonymous. I'm going to channel my very (laughs) verbal pre-two-year-old. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She's been saying that lately. <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> send them, send them, send them, right? Don't you think send them? Yes. This is such a delightful etiquette question because my favorite etiquette questions are about when things aren't going so smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is one of those ones that I, I call delightful because the work is done. You wrote these notes. They're all there. You kept track of people. You remembered their gifts. You remembered what they did. You wrote the notes. I can't believe they didn't quite make it into the mail. <laughs> and I love that they're in a drawer in the back of the drawer. Like It's not like they were like found behind the dresser that's like next to the front door where they had just simply gotten knocked or like in between the car seat. You know what I mean? It's like they were tucked in behind like a drawer somewhere. 
in so many ways, I'm so proud of our question asker. This this is 95% of the way there. And I think you can share that with the people that didn't get them. I, I was thinking about this and just don't do don't open them. Drop them in a larger envelope. Make a little note yeah. about what happened. And I think you could spend just a minute thinking about that language and then keep it the same. I don't think you need to rewrite an original note to every person. Yeah, um, no, no, no. Unless – and. I have a mea culpa for version of this myself. Really? Unless you know there are people for whom this would be a huge deal that they didn't get the thank you note. Like grandma or something. There might be certain people who would appreciate, like Lizzie and I do, the humor in this situation. <laughs> and there might be other people for whom it's not quite so humorous or for whom a real acknowledgement that you wish this had been there sooner is going to be an important part like of delivering it. acknowledgement as opposed to a humorous acknowledgement. Yeah. I, I think it's worth yeah. thinking about it enough to try to identify if, if that's part of your thinking. Mm-hmm. But if not, I think you can, with a relatively light touch, deliver the notes as you found them, and most people are going to smile and appreciate getting them at this point. Can't you hear some people being like, oh, but can't I just, like, put the stamps on them and send them? And, like, you know, who's cut lost in the mail 18 months later? Like, you could. I would find it pretty comical just if I received a thank you note at that point. But, you know, you could usually see the stamped on send date and then the date of the card on the inside and put two really? and two that together. Really? That just got there? I can't believe it. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. Like, No. So I love your answer. I got nothing to add. I think it's perfect. And I I say go for it. Mail them. Enjoy the humor in it. Be sincere where you need to. And feel good that this is one more item off the list. You know, writing letters is just a talent. Some people are born with it. Some aren't. (laughs) I'm glad you appreciated my help. Our next question is titled, Wait Till Tomorrow. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love the show so much. I've been listening for a couple years now, and it always puts such a wonderful glow on my day when I listen on my morning commute. My roommate and I hosted a party recently, and it brought up an etiquette quandary that I'd love to hear your thoughts on. This is our fourth year hosting a party together, and it's fairly large. We had about 40 guests this year. It's the kind of informal party where all are welcome. Anyone can bring guests, and we invite most people we run into in the weeks leading up to it. It gets a little bigger every year. We serve a lot of food and have plenty to drink. We go fairly all out. I have so much fun and look forward to it all year. My question, though, is about guest behavior before the event. Every time I host an informal party like this, as opposed to a dinner party or my annual Passover Seder, there are always a few people who text in the hours leading up to party time that they can't make it, and it's always a bummer. I feel like at a party as large and casual as this, it would be more polite to not say anything in the hours leading up to the event. And then if you wanted, you could reach out the next day to say, sorry, we couldn't make it. It's not a situation where I have a specific headcount and have to reset the table or reorganize the stemware or anything. I know it doesn't feel very etiquette to just not show up, but honestly, all the text message does is make me a little sad that I won't see them tonight. And I don't want to feel sad right before my party. And sometimes these texts are sent during the party. When RSVPing earlier, of course, it's expected that some people will decline. And I also understand that plans change and people have busy, complicated lives. And that's understandable. I'm not upset that they can't come. It's just the last minute timing that I have a problem with. So I'd love to hear your all thoughts on this. At what point does it become too late to RSVP? Is there any way to gauge whether other hosts would feel the way I do about this? If your plans change last minute, do you think there are appropriate and inappropriate times and ways to let your host know? 
Thank you so much, and I can't wait to hear your opinions on this topic. All the best, Evan. I think it's a great question. There was more description of this party. The party in question was actually a Halloween party. So now we're talking on an actual event night where people often have a lot of other parties they might be going to or party hopping going on. And it puts Evan's concern into better perspective for me. Because typically my answer would be like, you're crazy. Of course you'd want to know whether people were coming before or not. Like, no, 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 no. This is, this is, this is we got to keep the, keep the suggestion going. The guest should text ahead of time. And that it benefits you even if it's a bummer. But I'm understanding the perspective of when it's definitely a drop-in, drop-out, bring as many people as you want. I'm going to be busy dealing with my party throughout the whole night. Maybe it's not that polite for us to be instructing people to text that you're not going to come. What do you think? Here's how I started to parse it. Yeah. I started to say to myself, if you have said you're going, if you've replied in the affirmative and it's a change, you should let them know. I like it. If you haven't bothered to call and say, yes, I'm coming. You're still in the maybe category on the To invite. wait till the last second to call and say, no, I'm not, <laughs> is a little rude in some ways. It's... It's almost like you're putting more importance on the fact that you don't show up than that you would, if that makes any sense. Or that, that like more importance that you don't show up than if you than than responding to the RSVP timely in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. That you. It's not like you've made a commitment to go to this thing. You've essentially ignored your invitation to begin with. Yeah. So then to re-engage just to say no at the last minute. I can understand where the perception of that as awkward or strange comes from. The way that I'm going to parse it is I'm going to say that if you were planning on going and the host was expecting you, you would want to let them know of that change. Yeah. And I also think that that kind of thinking was implicit in the way this question was asked. Mm -hmm. This isn't a dinner party. Mm -hmm. We're not counting stemware. Mm -hmm. Those considerations aren't factoring into the host's mind Mm -hmm. as much. If you know that's the nature of the party, I can see where our host is coming from. Although there is still part of me that says communication is good. You want to let people know. But again, you haven't been doing anything in the service of that communication up till this point. No, it's it's very true. I like your differentiator there between if my host was expecting me and I'm now not going to show up, yes, I am going to tell them that. But if I've just noted that I have these different party invites tonight and this is one of my options and I haven't said whether I'm going or not, then it it does feel kind of pointless to reach out and say, hey, I'm not going to make it. Yeah, especially if there'd been no conversation, no run in at the grocery store the day before or something. But the only thing that I feel is a bummer, because I I think we sympathize with Evan at this point and we see his perspective and we're like, yeah, this this makes sense. But I do think it's the kind of thing that we can mention to an impromptu party. You know, if you haven't responded, if you aren't, you know, even sure if you're going to make it up until that night, if it is that type of an evening like Halloween often is, New Year's is another that's like that, Fourth of July as well. It can feel that way. It can feel awkward to just reach out with that no, so try to avoid it. But I, in other words, what I'm trying to say is I think Evan's got a good idea going here and it's for a good reason. But I also think that it's it's not one you're going to find a lot of people adhering to. No, it, it, the thinking is for Evan and I think for both of us that you're in some ways drawing more attention to your not coming than to the party itself. Yeah. You start to play that distracting yeah. role that 
isn't necessarily the best What's etiquette like, or courtesy. Passing orders, talking to guests, everything. Oh, bummer, Jake's not coming. And then it's like, you know, yeah, it kind of does kill your party vibe. And I also like your acknowledgement that that's tricky gray area territory to navigate thinking about what are my roles and responsibilities as a guest. I receive an invitation. If the host hasn't been super, super clear in the inviting about what kind of party it is, I'm also thinking about all the hosts out there that we hear from who don't hear from anybody Mm -hmm. and are left in that really awkward situation of, okay, now I'm sitting there (laughs) with food and drink for 40 plus but no, this is the year that only 10 or 15 show up, mm-hmm. and that can be difficult to deal with also. In some ways, I want to say deal with the feelings of sadness. <laughs> You've done the inviting. Yes. Part of your job as a host is to manage your feelings about how people respond. And That's true, too. knowing how many people are coming is an important part of being a good host often. So I don't want to just say – Oh, guest, if you're just not coming, don't respond right. and don't show up. Because there's Cause... a lot of other hosts who actually would appreciate getting that info. They'll know not to go restock the bar at, you know, 1030 at night or whatever it is because there just aren't going to be more folks coming. Or at least you kind of can go through your checklist and be like, oh, I've got these 30 people here. Four people have texted saying they're definitely not going to show up. You know, looks like, you know, we've kind of made it. Like, no need to restock the punch yeah. at this point. You got it. So I'm almost sort of talking myself back out (laughs) of the idea that it would be okay not to. Yeah. But I feel where this is coming from, from Evan. It's not a a clear etiquette answer. Right. Hey, we were asked for our thoughts, and those those are our thoughts. And we got Dan Poe's setting to say y'all. Yes, we did. Evan, I hope this party continues to grow every year. And this is the kind of problem that you're facing again and again and again because your party is such a success. We hope this answer helps. Guess we'll have to finish the game tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow? I'm going to Mary's party tomorrow, aren't you? A party? Why, I didn't even... No, I don't like parties. I never have any fun at parties. I was kind of hoping you'd go. Parties are more fun when all your friends are there. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Our next question is titled, Ring Around the Carousel. Baggage carousel, that is. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I'm a weekly listener to the Awesome Etiquette podcast since nearly the beginning. It is the most delightful dose of etiquette, and I love your genuine expressions of delight when your question askers mention engagements, promotions, and pregnancies. True consideration. I would like to enlist your help in eradicating my most frustrating pet peeve when it comes to traveling etiquette or lack thereof. You have addressed consideration, respect, and honesty in terms of airplane travel, reclining seats, sharing armrests, and so forth. I have not yet heard you discuss the madness surrounding the baggage claim. And we haven't, so I am going to express enthusiastically how excited I was to get this. I was like, oh my gosh, we haven't done this one before. Awesome. (laughs) Back to the question. In my experience, many travelers belly right up to the baggage carousel even before the bags have started to appear. Then, when luggage does start coming around, the people who see their bags have to break into the human barrier (laughs) to reach it, sometimes chasing their own bag past several clusters of people who are obliviously standing there. My close friends and I share this frustration, and it's tempting to start posting pictures of the rudeness to social media to shame travelers into backing off. 
I think it's more respectful if we ask you to politely spread the word and hope it goes viral. Oh, we hope it goes viral. It seems to me the considerate thing would be for everyone to stand back from the baggage carousel at least five feet until you see your own bag. There are often color changes on the floor or carpeting surrounding the carousel that indicate this space. This would allow everyone who does identify their bag to step forward and have the room to maneuver it off the carousel. Additionally, it provides the space needed for those who can't distinguish their bag from all the other black bags to step up, check their tag, and step back to the waiting space if that one doesn't belong to them. The expanded ring around the carousel helps everyone and would inconvenience no one. Simply stand back until you see your bag so those who do have room to get theirs. To me, it's similar to the courtesy around elevators, buses, and subways, in which we all realize you have to let people off before you try to get on. And on an escalator or moving sidewalk, stand right, walk left, so people don't have to climb over each other. Earlier this year, my husband and I returned from an international trip, and I noticed everyone going through customs that shared our baggage area provided the courtesy ring around the carousel. Yay! Perhaps those with less travel experience haven't yet realized how their behavior impacts others. Just as I initially didn't realize reclining one's seat was a faux pas because when I started traveling, there was enough room that it didn't bother me if someone reclined. That's all changed now. I would like to know your thoughts, particularly if there is something I'm overlooking, particularly an effective way to model this for the masses. Thank you for your incredible work to increase consideration around the world. Not so timid traveler. (laughs) The only comment that we have in our show notes is preach. And it was just like, do you want a job? We could hire. This is not only the question, but the answer. You've gotten it. You've given us something I had never thought of. I think I can go on vacation and we can have this listener come and substitute in. This is great. This is awesome. I love it. I've never heard of this, the five foot rule. I never knew that sometimes there's carpet at the Burlington Airport. I don't think there is. But this makes a lot of sense to me. This makes a lot of sense to me. This makes a lot of sense. Does this make sense? This makes sense. (laughs) It makes sense in so many ways. The geometry makes sense as the circle or oval around that carousel gets bigger. There's more room for everyone. This patience, this standing back a little bit creates space. It makes it easier to maneuver. Like you, I was thinking to myself as I read this, almost the best work we could do would be to read this question and then maybe read it again because the (laughs) the way it's framed and the way the discussion's presented, it works. We could do a postscript segment on it in the new year too, just to re-highlight that this is a great idea. I'm taking notes myself. Okay, when answering an etiquette question, start with discussion of principles framework, consideration, respect, and honesty. Proceed to (laughs) mapping or outlining the problem, then offer solution. Finally, have a little self-reflection. You know, I've made some mistakes myself. These are some ways I've changed. It's really about modeling this behavior for others and seeding the discussion places where it might have an impact. We are so happy to help you seed that discussion, dear listener. so impressed, not-so-timid traveler. Just so impressed. Thank you so much for giving us a chance to share this and for really approaching it with a thoughtful and, and logical, practical mindset. I say Emily Post would be proud. Air transportation presents a challenge and an opportunity for your life work. Our final question today is titled Earbuds at Home. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, thank you for your important work. I've been a fan since Dinner Party Download, and no day goes by without thoughts around respect, honesty, and consideration. My copy of Emily Post's Etiquette, the 19th edition, is arriving soon. Oh, thank you so much for purchasing it. 
I'm curious about AirPods or earbud etiquette. My girlfriend loathes that I wear them constantly when we're home. When I'm wearing them, she feels as if I'm trying to isolate myself. But the truth is that I always pause whatever I'm playing and remove the pods, look her in the eyes, and respond when she talks to me. If it's a conversation that she's seeking, I participate with zest. When she walks away, I put on my pods and continue with my listening. I don't want her to feel that I'm unavailable, but I also want to enjoy audiobooks and podcasts after a stressful workday. How can I exercise better etiquette? Thanks, David in Los Angeles. David, thanks for your question. I have so much sympathy because I also love listening to podcasts and audiobooks. I do it on my commute, but I also do it around the office and when I am home. <laughs> And I am aware that whatever decisions I make about how I listen to my podcast, it affects other people. In my car, not so much. Although even when I'm in my car, I find myself not always wanting to take calls from other people because yep. I'm listening to my podcast. And my wife, who I love dearly, will call and she'll just want to talk or chat. And I'll say, I, I really want to get back to this book I'm <laughs> listening to or this podcast I'm listening to. Balancing how much attention I give other people, how much attention I give to this world of information that's constantly available is something that I wrestle with myself. And my big picture etiquette answer here is that when there starts to be strain in a relationship around something, it's time for a talk. It's time to open up some communication because I think there's very reasonable perspectives on both sides of this. The mm -hmm. side that says, this is a totally reasonable thing to do. I love listening to audiobooks. And there is also... A very reasonable perspective that says when you're listening to those things, you're not available to me and I miss you. I want to spend more time with you, which is in some ways what I'm hearing on the other side of that. I also hear not so much the the need to spend time, but the need to feel like it's OK for this person to interrupt you. And I know that sounds a little silly, but when you're in a shared space with someone, I get this especially the times when I've lived with a roommate where that person and I aren't actually obligated to to hang out in the house together. It can feel very isolating when I know they're in the house with like earphones on. I, I feel I actually really feel that divide like they are trying to create that separation, even though they're doing something out of enjoyment. They don't mind that I'm in the house at all. There is no actual offense or rudeness or, or reason other than their enjoyment of the program that they're listening to. But it does not feel like you are sharing the same space in the same way. And I think that's one of the things that your girlfriend might be feeling is that it, it feels isolated and separate when at home you want to kind of feel like you can call out to someone or walk up to them and you're not just constantly interrupting. But the reality is, is that even if that person didn't have earbuds and you would be interrupting whatever they're doing, it just doesn't feel as much of an interruption because you don't have that physical thing you're looking at that requires it. Come on, Dan, jump in, interrupt me. You just gave me a new idea. <laughs> and that, that permission to interrupt that you just gave me is one of the components for that talk that I think it's time to have that permission to interrupt, I think, is one of the things I would be sure to touch on when I was thinking about what I would want to talk to my partner about. It sounds like Dave has done that. Like, it sounds like he's encouraged it. But I'm saying that even with that encouragement, I think that the the physicality, the physical seeing someone's ears blocked. Like, imagine if Pooj just had headphones on all the time at home. Would you feel disconnected from her at home? Because she's experiencing something that you can't hear. And she constantly has to get your attention in a slightly more overt way in order yep. to reach you. 
And we say that, uh, yes, would be the answer. And and I'm thinking also about the business etiquette situation, the employee who's yeah. constantly wearing earbuds, totally. who doesn't feel like they're available to anybody else. Or anyone else doesn't feel like they're available to them. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think the permission to interrupt is one thing that I would bring up in yeah. terms of trying to open up some space around how to do this and do it well. Because I also don't think that we should say, oh, no, you don't wear earbuds or you don't listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I think that you also want to talk about carve-out times. Are there certain times in particular, maybe it's that first 15 or 20 minutes after we get home and we're spending time together. Maybe it's time right around a meal. Maybe maybe there's other significant moments like where this. that availability to each other might be part of the, the back and forth, the give and the take that, mm-hmm. okay, it's okay when you see me doing this to interrupt me, but I'm also going to really make an effort to be around you sometimes mm-hmm. without them. And can we make some agreement about what those are? Yeah. I think that you might offer to open up the space. Do you want to listen together? That was going to be my other suggestion. Do you want to <laughs> talk and discourse about what's going on in those yeah. earbuds in a way that, that starts to open up that space? And maybe you listen together. Maybe you just talk about what it is that you're listening to, even if someone's not interested in listening with you. Yeah. But that could also start to be some middle ground where you're building things that are positive into the relationship where it doesn't just feel like something that takes you away. I think the part of that discussion that I would also encourage you to have, David, is to talk about what it is you like about listening, that being positive and clear and explicit about what it is can also help your partner understand why you do it. And balance in their mind those thoughts that, oh, this is isolating, this is taking this person away from me, and I don't like this. But if they can start to understand the joy or the satisfaction that you're getting from it, that can also help in finding that compromise, that middle ground that's going to be comfortable for everyone. I think what I key on most here is that our listener, David, has said his partner is saying is reflecting that he wears them constantly. And that's why I like your idea of finding defined times. We do that with the different projects, hobbies, things that we enjoy. You know, I love watching Monday Night Football and my partner might not love that. And so, you know, we're going to organize how I'm going to get to go do that and they're going to not feel like it's us being separate. I think you need to treat podcasts and audiobooks and and audio things that you want to be listening to via headphones that way. I love the idea of listen together, but I think you really want to think of it as not just background filler for your everyday moving around throughout the house. A lot of people listen to it for cleaning and things like that, but I think of that as kind of like actually active dedicated time. Whereas if you just put them in when you come home and have kind of got them on while you're puttering around the house and doing different things, even if your partner might be puttering around the house doing their different things, I think that is a a real separation that is starting to... I can understand the, the partner's feeling of how that feels like unnecessary time to be divided in that kind of way. And so I I like the idea of setting a time. Maybe it's, you know, for an hour after dinner. Maybe it's, you know, it, it maybe it is while you guys cook in the kitchen and it's actually relaxing to have that be a quiet time where you're kind of not communicating. I don't know. It different strokes for different folks, but but I think the problem we've got is that your partner feels it's constant and there's got to be a way to do what Dan said and to find that space and carve out the time for it so it can feel reasonable. 
David, thank you for this interesting question about managing attention in a world where there are so many options in front of us all the time. This is a new kind of etiquette. We appreciate the chance to talk about it. While we possess the great blessing of good hearing, let us always strive to protect and to preserve this most precious gift of nature. Thank you for your questions. Please, please, please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette in your post so we know we have your permission to put it on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our first piece of feedback is from a mom who says she's made a two-year-old etiquette expert just from listening to Awesome Etiquette. Two years old? Impressive. (laughs) Okay, this isn't a question, but I thought you guys would find this hilarious. I have a 2.75-year-old, so two and three-quarters-year-old daughter. She and I were eating some popcorn shrimp. Easy frozen food I heated up. I was eating them with my fingers. It's finger food. She got up, walked over to the flatware drawer, came back and handed me a fork and said, here's a fork for you, mommy. Hold it like this and shows me how to eat with a fork. OMG, what have I created? I also didn't know that she knew where the silverware drawer was and that she had the ability to reach inside and to grab specific items. Too funny. I love it. That's an adorable moment. Here, Mommy, use a fork. Good work, Mom. The surprises are endless and continuous. They are such remarkable creatures, these little people. (laughs) Our next piece of feedback is from episode 222 about wedding plus ones. I'm in the process of listening to episode 222. I was disappointed in your answer to the listener with the destination wedding question. My understanding from experience is that for a destination wedding, every adult should have a plus one. I was invited to a wedding in the Dominican Republic at an all-inclusive resort. The cost for one person in a room was $400 a night, while two people was $450 a night. Being able to split the cost with another guest, my plus one, was a huge help. Asking people to attend a destination wedding without a plus one is asking them to fly alone, rent a car alone, pay for a hotel solo, and generally hang out alone as the wedding won't take up the whole trip. I hope you will reconsider your destination wedding invitation advice. Kateleen. Kateleen, this is a tough one, and I, I really actually appreciated you writing in because I think it's really good for people to hear this perspective of what a destination wedding can feel like to some folks. However, from an etiquette perspective, I actually still disagree. It's not a a mandatory, you must give your guests the plus one. You really need to abide by your budget and do what works for your budget and what's going to make you feel comfortable. Remember that when you give someone a plus one to a destination wedding and then you go and ask someone to come to that destination wedding, you are now obligating someone who doesn't know the couple to pay for hotel and uh, gift and travel and all these other things. And it's their choice to say yes to it and sign on for that. But it's also that thing where now you've got a stranger coming to the wedding who doesn't know anyone 
By extension, you're asking someone else to do everything that you're upset that this couple is asking you to do. And it's it's one of those things where it can get awkward in that kind of space. It's really up to you to decide that going to the destination wedding is the right thing for you to do, that you are comfortable traveling that way with the invitation that you've been given. That's really why our advice ends up being what it is, is that it's about the couple choosing who they would like to extend the invitation of coming to their wedding to. And you always get to make a decision about whether that invitation is one that you want to entertain and feel comfortable entertaining. It's why I really, really love it when couples who do destination weddings have a party in their hometown or in the area that they live in afterwards so that folks who didn't feel comfortable traveling alone or, you know, for me, the situation is always that it's it's too costly for me to do all of those things. And so I really love that belated party that allows me to celebrate and have fun and and enjoy the event um, without all that travel. Caitlin, we appreciate you bringing this up, even though we, we still stick with our advice, because it does give couples the chance to think also about the people that they're inviting and that maybe for one particular friend, you might really want to invite that plus one for them for exactly the reasons that Caitlin's talking about. So it's always good to broaden those perspectives and remember the perspective of all of your guests. And in the end, to remember to be respectful about the fact that it is the couple's choice. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette and today's topic is about gift giving and receiving. Because if you are taking the time to listen to this on its air date, it is technically Christmas Eve. So there's going to be a lot of gift giving and receiving going on over the next two days, 24 hours, 48 hours, or it just happened. Son of a gun. (laughs) Son of a gun. (laughs) We're right in it. We're right in it. But there's a lot about gift giving. There is. There's a lot of different nuance. I mean, we saw that from some of our questions. We experience it in our own lives. (laughs) I can't think about the etiquette of gift giving without thinking about a a seminal moment in Senning family etiquette history. Really? The moment when my cousin Portia Senning, and she won't mind that I've said her name on the podcast (laughs) in connection to the story because it's a legend and (laughs) she sort of enjoys the fame around it, threw an epic temper tantrum at age two and a half because she did not get the present that she wanted. Okay. In fact, her brother got the present that she preferred Uh and and it wasn't even the thing she'd asked for but just in the moment she saw it and she went berserk like classic temper tantrum yeah and two and a half year old meltdown it's not the end of the story a couple years later after she spent the whole pre-holiday season shopping with her mother and picking out presents for the cousins on the drive home she turned to her mother in a very thoughtful reflective voice said you know i understand now why you were so mad at me for what i did a couple Christmases ago when I had that She's temper like a tantrum. She's a five-year-old now saying this to her mom yep. about her two-year-old self? Yep. Wow. Okay. So. She, she, it, was, it was like one of those, those moments in childhood where after spending the time going through the whole process of really investing in gift giving and receiving, she reflected back on bad behavior mm-hmm. and said, you know, you, people were so mad at me then for – 
frankly, how terrible I was, and I didn't understand, and I do now, in four-year-old language. <laughs> totally. Portia Sending, I think about you all the time <laughs> when I think about gift-giving etiquette because it is a thing, and there are expectations around it, and they do matter, and they matter for important reasons. People invest in this. It's an important way to show we care about each other, and we often say receiving a gift in the same spirit of generosity with which it's given is part of that whole exchange etiquette and it, it, it solidifies bonds and helps really form relationships. So in the spirit of honoring that, Cousin Lizzie I was going to say, in the spirit of exchanges, often, often families and friend groups have exchanges during the holiday season. And when it comes to gift giving, it's really important to respect the parameters. And if no parameters have been set, it's okay to raise that to the group and say, hey, are there any parameters that people are hoping to put on this year's gift exchange, you know, just thought I'd toss it out there as an option. I know some groups do, some groups don't. It's okay to to invite that kind of conversation about your gift exchange. As we said, our family does it every so often just to make sure everyone still wants to participate. But the funny thing is that when you're not in a gift exchange, when you don't have sort of a protocol for who who's giving to who or who's giving to whom, it can be really confusing. And just like in our sustaining member question today, which if you are a sustaining member, you were able to hear on the full version of the show, we hear people confused about reciprocation. And if I get someone a gift out of generosity, are they going to feel obligated to give me a gift? Or just because I've received a gift from someone, do I have to go out and get a gift from them? I don't have the money for that. I don't know what to get them. I didn't think our friendship warranted a gift. Gift giving is not reciprocal. It is not done in order to get and to receive. And therefore, it is perfectly okay for you to gift a gift. And and if something comes back your way, wonderful. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. If you receive a gift and it inspires you to give a gift, that's okay. Don't feel like you have to make an excuse. Oh, I left it in my car. It's still in the mail or I'm not finished making it. No excuses. Focus on that gift. Dan, what else do we have in the in the world of gift giving? A question that often comes up is the question of regifting. Aha! Uh-huh. I think I'm contractually 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 obligated as an etiquette consultant <laughs> to mention regifting if we're going to talk about gifts. I think so. It used to be a huge no-no. Mm-hmm. We used to say you absolutely do not do this. We live in a very post-post Seinfeld era where the concept <laughs> of regifting has firmly entered the consciousness of America at least and It is something that we now say has its moment, has its place, that it's not a never, no how, no time, nowhere, never. If gifts are not monogrammed and personalized, if they aren't handmade specifically for you, if it's not going to be hurtful or offensive to the person who gave you a gift, if you were to re-gift it. Or the person receiving it that they received a re-gifted gift. If it's something that isn't something you're giving away just because you want to get rid of it, but because it's actually something the person who is receiving it would appreciate or enjoy. That is my favorite rule, by the way. They have to like it. You have to think they're going to like it. It's not just about cleaning out your closet. It is okay to re-give. We live in a world of disposable goods, mass-manufactured goods, and two of the same blender does not do anyone a great service. Nor does a blender that you are never going to use. So it has its moment. Take care because it can give offense if someone feels that they've given you something and that you did not receive it well. You did not acknowledge it and really care about it but just passed it on to someone else. So 
take ownership of the fact that you're doing that and be ready to communicate clearly and honestly with anybody about any regifting that you're doing. Our next piece of advice is the closest you're going to hear us come to advocating for any kind of white lie. Or deception. I know. And that's that sometimes you do have to fake it. And you have to fake it when you receive a gift that you don't think the color is particularly beautiful or the size is incredibly far off or you have a million of these items or no, it's completely not in your taste. And you have to find something positive to say. And it's always okay to focus on the thought. You can say, hey, thank you so much. This is this is wonderful. Or, oh, I was looking for a new sweater. The thought here is fabulous. Um, whatever it is, you want to receive a gift well. You want to make sure that the other person feels good for having given you something, for having spent time thinking about you. We're not talking about gifts where it's very clear that they didn't. We're just talking about take the time to say thank you so much, even if it's not something that you love. I appreciate your acknowledgement that this could be difficult and it can tiptoe up to that line of deception or self-deception and to carve out that space for (laughs) honesty. I also like your mention of the effort or the thought behind a gift that I think you can find genuine appreciation somewhere in your heart for someone making an effort for you or on your behalf or thinking about you at a special time. And for all those who encounter this moment, our final tip is that it is indeed okay to return or exchange a gift that you've received if you are able to. If you've got that gift receipt or if the store accepts it without return, you can even... You can you can choose, as we mentioned on last week's show, whether or not you write to the person and say thank you for the gift as it is or whether you say thank you so much. I was I actually ended up exchanging it for X, Y, Z color or X, Y, Z item. It's up to you whether you you make that thank you before or after the exchange. But it is OK to do this. And it is it is OK. It's not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> in fact, it's become so generally accepted that it is oftentimes nice as a gift giver to think about including a gift receipt in a package or offering to provide someone a receipt if they would like to do an exchange or return. Absolutely. And remember, with all gift giving, no matter how it goes, you can always use it for positive inspiration for next year's round of gift giving. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today we hear from Lisa in Australia. Hi Lizzie and Dan, a big hello from Sydney, Australia. I started listening to your podcast some months ago, and it has since been a constant companion in the car and on my morning walks. You guys make exercise easier. Hooray for that. Oof. I've just returned from a wonderful road trip where my husband and I traversed many miles across the country. In anticipation of this, I downloaded a number of different podcasts and audiobooks that I thought would appeal to his taste. Awesome Etiquette was, of course, at the top of my list, but I suspected that my very concrete-thinking husband would not necessarily find it as appealing. So had plenty of other options on hand to cater to his super-practical engineer's brain. How wrong I was. After listening to a selection of what was on offer, he declared that Awesome Etiquette was, in fact, his favorite, too. He would often stop the podcast to ask, what would you do? 
and on more than one occasion commented, they really do give good advice, don't they? Blushing. I am simultaneously delighted and surprised to say that he has even asked for an Emily Post book on men's etiquette for Christmas. Oh, we have one. That's so great. As I've reflected further on his interest in your podcast, though, it's occurred to me that perhaps I shouldn't have been quite so surprised after all. Whilst it's true that my husband might not be schooled in some of the finer points of etiquette, he does in many ways embody the principles that you so often remind us of consideration, respect, and honesty. One lovely example of this came not long after our wedding. We were married in 2016, a little later in life than many at the age of 41. Those first few months were a happy whirlwind, lots of laughs, but also a lot of change. I guess when you put two people together who have been very happily settled in their lives as singles for a significant period of time, there are lots of adjustments and new routines that need to be worked out. As a consequence, though, I was seeing my friends less. We talked on the phone, but I really missed the face-to-face catch-up. One particularly special group were some girls I'd gone through Bible college with. The six of us lived together for four years and have since been a constant support to one another as we've negotiated the ups and downs common to single women in their late 30s and early 40s. One day, about 12 months after we got married, my husband and I were having dinner together and he casually mentioned that he had bought tickets for us to see the Russian ballet perform live in Sydney. And by us, I mean all seven of us. He went on to explain that he knew how much my friends meant to me, and he wanted to make sure that I was still getting quality time with them. He also wanted the girls to know that even though our circumstances had changed, we still loved and valued them and wanted them to feel special. I thought this was such a kind and generous gesture, particularly given the fact that sitting through several hours of ballet was not exactly his idea of a good time. But he privileged relationships over his own comfort, and for that, I think he deserves an etiquette salute. Thanks, Lizzie and Dan. We really appreciate you. Lisa. That is so wonderful. Thank you, and that is so wonderful. This is amazing. Lisa, I love it. Great hubby. I know, and ballet... I kind of love to go see the Russian ballet perform (laughs) in Sydney. That sounds awesome. (laughs) That's really awesome. I hope you have a phenomenal time with your friends if it's still in the future or that it went very well if it's in the past. And please give your husband our best. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider helping us out by either becoming a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and possibly consider leaving us a review. Our show was edited by Chris Albertine. And our assistant producer is Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and, and Bridget. Bridget.